Well, we're continuing a series of Bible studies that we started a few weeks ago called A Study of Some Psalms. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 84. So if you have your Bible, make your way over to Psalm 84. Last time we looked at Psalm 103, and it's a psalm in which the writer is talking to himself. Here in Psalm 84, the writer is talking to God. The author of the psalm was one of the sons of Korah, who are credited with writing several of the other psalms that are in the book as well. They served as gatekeepers and singers at the temple. Gatekeepers were the rough equivalent of ushers, security guards, and janitors at the temple, all kind of rolled into one. The famous Bible teacher James Montgomery Boyce, he called Psalm 84 the Psalm of the Janitors, making reference to verse 10 of the psalm. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper or a janitor in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. It's believed that this psalm may have been written by someone who had once worked at the temple, but is now prevented from going there for some reason that we're not told. Uh, it could be all kinds of different reasons. But it, and so now he looks with great longing toward the temple, wanting to be near the Lord again. Psalm 84 it begins like this, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. We go back up to verse 1 here. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. How lovely. That, that term is in the sense of how dear, how beloved, how precious is your dwelling place to me, Lord. Believe it or not, the Hebrew language being used here in this psalm is that of a love poem. When was the last time that you wrote the Lord a love poem or a love song? That's what this language is here in this psalm. We're cautioned to not allow our emotions to drive our faith, especially when it comes to times of testing and trials and we feel like the Lord has left us. We need our faith to be grounded in something more secure than how we feel to get through times like that. We need our faith to be built upon the promises of God that are stated in His Word, the Bible. That doesn't mean, though, that our faith is to lack feelings and passion. We're not to be like Spock, a Stoic, having a purely intellectual relationship with God based solely on facts and logic. It's a very good thing for us to be in love with the Lord. And that's what we see being expressed here in this psalm by the writer. He is in love with the Lord. He has a deeply emotional, passionate love for God. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place. He's referring to the temple in Jerusalem here. It was the symbolic presence of the Lord on earth. The temple was the dwelling place of the Lord among his people. The temple was the place a person would go to be near God. 
Following the dedication of the temple, God said his eyes and his heart would always be there listening for the prayers of his people. In 2 Chronicles 7.15, it says, the Lord is speaking here, and he says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now I want to take a quick side road here before we continue on with the psalm. Following the coming of Jesus Christ and the new relationship with God that he has made possible, the dwelling place of God is no longer a temple in Jerusalem, but it is his people. He dwells in us. We are each individually temples of God now, and we are also together a single living temple of people stones in which God dwells. It says we are being built into a temple. So 1 Corinthians 3.13 tells us, for example, that we are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in our midst. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says we are the temple of the living God. 1 Peter 2.5 tells us that we are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 2.22 tells us that we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. At the completion of the first temple, Solomon, he expressed amazement that God would condescend to dwell among His people in this temple that they had built. 1 Kings 8.27, he said, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I've built. That was indeed an amazing thing to consider, that God would dwell within this temple that they had built. But now something even more amazing has taken place. God dwells in His people. He dwells in you and me. It's good for us to take these little side roads like this when we are studying Old Testament texts like the Psalms because our relationship with the Lord is not exactly as it was in those days. You see, Jesus Christ has created a new and better relationship for us. When we read the Old Testament scriptures, it's good for us to keep that in mind. We have everything that they did and a whole lot more. We can understand and appreciate and resonate with the psalmist's longing to be at the temple in Jerusalem so that he can be near the Lord. That same longing to be near the Lord is present in our hearts too. But now, rather than needing to go to the temple in Jerusalem to be near God, we can be near God anywhere at any time because we are the temple of the Lord. We are His dwelling place. Let's continue. In verse 2, he says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. This is an intense, heartfelt, homesick yearning to be near the Lord. Every fiber of the psalm writer's being cries out, reaches out, screams, for the Lord. I want to be with the Lord. I need to be with the Lord. I thirst and hunger for the Lord. It's similar to the words 
of another psalm written by the sons of Korah. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? He's referred to as the living God, and I love that description of the Lord. It communicates in such simple but powerful terms the reality of the God that we worship. He is alive. He is real. He is active. The living God. It's the living God who's the object of his yearning, and it's the living God that we too yearn for and desire to be near above all else. You know, once you have experienced the Lord firsthand, you can't help but want to get back to that place and remain there forever. There's nothing else like it. Every human being has this longing in their soul. They may not realize in the moment that it's God that they're longing so deeply for. People, they try to satisfy that longing with all kinds of other things, money, fame, sex, power, thrill-seeking, But when a person finally realizes that what that is that they have been hungering for, that it's the Lord, and they get a taste of a real encounter with him, they're continually drawn back to it. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Verse 3 Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. There's a bit of of envy in the words of the psalm writer as he so desperately misses being with the Lord and remembers that even the sparrow and the swallow have a home near the altar of the Lord. He says, I want to have That too, I want to be there too. What worth does a sparrow or a swallow have in the eyes of the world? I mean, they're considered worthless. They're too small to eat for food. They don't uh, look like a whole lot of anything. They don't have an impressive plumage of feathers. They don't make a very distinctive noise. They're everywhere. Hopping around the parking lots, eating from the bits of garbage that we leave behind, or ceaselessly flying around in the air eating bugs. They're terribly common. They're everywhere. And yet, these little birds, they found a home at the house of the Lord, a place near his altar. You know, when I was in Israel a number of years ago, I saw something very similar to what is being described here in this verse. I was in Jerusalem at what is called the Western Wall, which is a segment of the ancient foundation retaining wall of the Temple Mount, where the temple used to be located. The wall segment, built some 2,000 years ago, is about 60 feet high, four or five stories high. And this segment of the foundation wall, it has become one of the most religiously important places in the world for the Jewish people. People from all over the world travel, making the pilgrimage to this wall segment to recite prayers. Some people write prayers on little pieces of paper and parchment, and then they roll those up and fold them into little pieces, and then they stuff them into the cracks of the wall. 
If you're there, you can see all of these thousands of little pieces of paper that have prayers written on them that have been stuffed into the walls, cracks. Well, when I was there, I couldn't help but notice all of the little birds that had been making their nests in the cracks, in the crevices, in the wall, in its upper reaches. When I saw the birds flying in and out of these nests in the wall, I thought of this verse in this psalm. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. You see, this western wall is that last remaining bit of the temple of God for these people. And they look at that piece of wall, the western wall, as though it were the temple in that sense. I want to say that, you know, you may not be much in the eyes of others. You may be considered terribly common. You may feel like, All you do is sift through others' garbage and fly around catching bugs. But you're special to the Lord. You are lovely and loved by the Lord. You are welcomed by the Lord. And you can find a home with the Lord near Him. And this is that picture that we have. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. This verse just kind of pulls together these ideas that the psalm writer has expressed so far. Blessed or happy are the people who dwell in your house, Lord. They are ever praising you. And then in verse 5 it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. It says, Blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. The psalm writer is talking about people like himself who have their hearts set on making the journey to the temple to be near the Lord. They were willing to do whatever it took to get to the temple, to be Near God. In those days, some 2,500 years ago or so, it was not a matter of just loading the family up in a car and taking a 30-minute drive up the freeway to the house of worship for a church service. The journey could be days in length for some of them. Though difficult and dangerous terrain that they would face, it would cost tremendous amounts of money and require planning and preparation. They would still do it. It was worth it for them. They loved the Lord and they wanted to be near Him at His temple to worship Him. A question for us to ask ourselves is, is my heart set on pilgrimage in that way? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to get to that place near the Lord? The Lord helps and strengthens those who want to be near Him. He makes the journey possible. He meets them along the way and he even carries them if needed. Whenever a person sincerely reaches toward the Lord to be near him, the thing that they discover is that he has been reaching toward them already. See, no matter how much we desire to be near the Lord, he desires to be near us more. 
says, as they pass through the valley of Baca. The valley of Baca is symbolic of a place of desolation and difficulty. As these pilgrims, as they pass through this desolate, difficult place, the Lord brings refreshing springs of water gushing forth, so much so that the places become covered with pools of water. And this is true for all of those who have their hearts set on privilege, on pilgrimage, for, for those who long to be near the Lord. You know, you may face difficulties and have to go through desolate places along the way to be near the Lord, but the Lord will bring refreshing springs of water, which will turn those dry, desolate places into pools of water. It says they go from strength to strength. Those who have their confidence in the Lord, they go from one place of strength to another place of strength. When we have our confidence in ourselves and in our own abilities, as soon as we've hit the limit of our abilities and our strength, well, we're done. I mean, that's it. There's nothing more. But when, when our strength and our confidence are in the Lord, we are tapped into a limitless source. And what it says in this verse is true. We go from strength to strength. The Apostle Paul, he learned this lesson of strength and weakness, strength in humility and trust, strength to strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he wrote, The Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He wrote in Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through Him, Christ, who gives me strength. We may face difficulties far beyond our ability to endure alone, but we are not facing them alone. In our weaknesses, He, the Lord, is shown to be strong, and we go from strength to strength. The last phrase in verse 7 says, until each appears before God in Zion. Poetically, Zion is another name for Jerusalem and the place of the temple in particular. So the psalm writer is saying, in effect, that those who are seeking to be near the Lord, those who have their hearts set on pilgrimage, go from strength to strength until they get to that place that they are longing to be near the Lord. For us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we will go from strength to strength until we arrive at the true Zion, heaven itself, and be with the Lord forever. Verse 8 says, Hear my prayer, God. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. The psalmist is asking the Lord to bless and take care of the anointed one who is their king. We aren't told what a particular circumstances were at that time which causes him to pray for the king like this in this psalm. But the, the, the thing that it brings to mind for us is who our anointed one is, Jesus Christ. You might remember that the word Christ means anointed one. So for us, though, rather than us praying for our anointed one, our anointed one actually prays for us. 
Jesus Christ intercedes for us. He is our advocate. He is our savior, our rescuer, our protector, our shield. And this is a beautiful reminder for us of that truth. And then verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. This verse defines the writer's priorities and longings using some very powerful contrasts. He would rather spend one day near the Lord than spend a thousand days anywhere else. He would rather be a human doorstop at the house of the Lord than live in highest luxury with those who don't love the Lord. He would rather be the door person peeking through the cracked open door, watching what's taking place there at the Lord's temple than be anywhere else in the world. He doesn't care what he has to do as long as he is near the Lord. He would rather have nothing with God than everything without God. It brings to mind the parables that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. Verse 44, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Matthew 13, 45, Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And, we, and when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had, and he bought it. The Lord is that treasure, is that pearl worth everything. Brings to mind, too, the reaction that the disciples had when Jesus asked them if they wanted to leave him after a large number of other people stopped following him after he had given some teaching that they didn't like. And he said, are you going to leave too? And in John 6, 68, Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, for them, there was no one else they would ever follow no other place that they would rather be. They wanted to be with Jesus because they believed that he had the words of eternal life, that he really was the Son of God. And for those of us who have come to believe in Jesus Christ, there is no other place we would rather be, no other person we would rather be with than him because we know that he has the words of eternal life. What kind of value did you and I put on our relationship with the Lord. Is one day with the Lord better than a thousand elsewhere? I think most of us would say absolutely without hesitation. That's our heart's desire to be with Him, to be near Him. But that's not what our actions really do a lot of the time. Instead, we let our life get filled with a thousand other things other than the Lord, huh? I don't think our biggest challenge, see, is figuring out what are the best things to give our attention to. I think we know the answer to that. We know what's best 
the challenge is actually giving our time to those things that are best. What usually happens instead is we just let ourselves get carried along by the overwhelming onslaught of all of the things clamoring for our attention. See, if we want our time to be given to the best things, we're going to have to say no to lots of other things and let those things fall to the wayside. It's going to take determination and focus on our part to do it. Warren Buffett, one of the most successful business people to have ever lived, said, really successful people say no to almost everything. Really successful people say no to almost everything. He was talking about success in the business world, obviously, but the principle can be applied to our life, too, in the things that we're letting use our time. How many of us have had that discouraging experience realizing that we have just been an hour doing nothing but scrolling through our smartphone, looking at a bunch of stupid, useless stuff? And we go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I just wasted an hour of my life with nothing. We need to be able to say no to these things. We need to say no, 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 and no. The only way time opens up in our schedule for time with the Lord is by eliminating other things. Our life is packed with stuff. But so much of that stuff is just that. It's stuffing. Verse 11. It says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord is our truth and our glory and our protection and our strength. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Philippians 4.19 My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's what we have in the Lord. Verse 12 finishes the psalm. It says, Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed or happy is the one who places their confidence in the Lord, looking to the Lord for their peace and their security. Well, in closing, I, I just want to take us back to those little birds who have found a home near the Lord. The Lord is inviting you and me to come and find a home near Him too. That I know is our heart's desire, just like it says in the psalm, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I know that's our heart desire. And God is inviting us to come and be near to Him. And I want to remind us that as much as you and I desire to be near the Lord, He desires to be near us more. He desires to be near us more. We say, I love you, Lord. And he says, I love you more. I love you more. Come and be near me. And that's our invitation.
this week from the Lord. Come and be near me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for Psalm 84 and this reminder that we have of both our desire to be near you and the incredible truth that as much as we yearn to be near you, (laughs) you want us near you even more. I pray, God, that we would be resolute and determined in saying no to these other things so that we have time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.